Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Logue. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Logue is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. All right, we'll grab a Bible and turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, and in case you use one of our pew Bibles, you can find that on page 878. Uh, it seems to me like it has been forever uh, since we paused Luke as the holidays began uh, at the end of last year, so I want to give a quick refresher uh, just to ori reorient us to what we are studying or to introduce it in case you haven't been with us. Uh, so a man named Luke has written this account of the life and ministry of Jesus, and he has written it for a friend of his named Theophilus. And we saw back in the very beginning that Luke has carefully researched every detail of this story so that Theophilus can be confident that the things that he has learned about Jesus are true. And if we wanted to, to boil down or identify the overall point of the story, it would be that all of God's promises of salvation in the Old Testament are being fulfilled in, in the person and work of Jesus. And so for the, the last several chapters now, Jesus has been making his way to Jerusalem, where he has already predicted that he will be betrayed, and rejected by the Jewish religious leaders, uh, turned over to the, the Roman authorities, and then put to death before rising again on the third day. And now this morning we're going to be reminded of what Jesus' ministry is all about as he encounters two unlikely people on his journey. And so we're in Luke chapter 18, and we're going to pick up beginning in verse 35. It says, As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And so again, as we've said, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And now, for the very first time in a long time, Luke specifies where he is when he tells us that he drew near to Jericho. And so as we pull the map up on the screen real quick, uh, if you look at the bottom there, you will see uh, that Jericho is, is not quite 20 miles northeast of Jerusalem. Now, the route that is shown on the map isn't necessarily completely accurate because Luke hasn't told us exactly how Jesus has gotten from uh, the region of Galilee to Jerusalem. He's, he's talked about Jesus entering a certain village at times or a certain place uh, at other times. But however exactly Jesus did it, the last stop on the journey would be the city of Jericho. And now Jericho is an interesting place. Uh, geographically speaking, it is the lowest city on the face of the earth. It sits 150 feet below sea level. Uh, of course, Jericho is probably most well-known for the Old Testament story of how the Israelites defeated it when, when the Lord caused the wall of the city to fall down. Well, years later, the city was rebuilt. And there's actually an interesting story there in 1 Kings chapter 16 
And by the time of the first century, it was a thriving, wealthy community. King Herod actually built his winter palace there so that he could stay there. And then Cleopatra took it from him because she wanted to be able to live in Jericho. Uh, but, But for our purposes, Jericho is the last stop before you get to Jerusalem. Jericho is where Bucky's is. Right? Jericho is where the nice hotels are. And so you would, you would stop and spend the night there before waking up and making the last leg of the journey the next day. Well, as Jesus is approaching Jericho, Luke tells us that there is a blind man sitting on the side of the road begging. He, he asks people for food or money or, or whatever they might be willing to give him. And we've seen throughout the story that that massive crowds follow Jesus around, listening to his teaching and and seeing his miracles. Uh, At times, crowds that are are too large to be counted. And so as Jesus is getting closer, this man can hear the sound of a large group of people. And so he asks, what's what's going on? What's all this commotion about? And, And the people explain to him that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And when he hears this, the man begins to call out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me over and over and over again. Now, the people who are in the front of the procession rebuke the man, tell him to be quiet. And I have to admit that that I'm kind of torn here. Because on on one hand, as, as the father of four children... Uh, I confess that loud, repetitive noises can, can get on my nerves too. You get to the point you just, you, you've got to stop that. Right, but at the same time, I understand this guy's situation. Right? This is his shot. He has absolutely nothing to lose and, and everything to gain. And, and, and of course, he's blind, so he, doesn't, he can't see exactly where Jesus is. And so he just calls out as loud as he can in every direction, hoping that Jesus will hear him. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, we have to talk about this. You see, Jesus has been called a lot of things in this story. Teacher, master, Lord, prophet, the son of man, uh, even the son of God. But but this is the first and only time that someone calls him the son of David. Uh, That term, son of David, is explicitly messianic. It refers back to God's promise that the Messiah would come from David's lineage, and we see this, this promise and this hope in the prophets over and over again. All right, just, just for one example, Jeremiah pictures the, the people of Israel and the kings like a tree that's been chopped down and burned in judgment as God sends the people into exile. But in Jeremiah 23, verse 5, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So the Messiah would be the son of David. And this has already been made clear to us about Jesus. Way back at the beginning, the the angel declares to Mary that God will give her son the throne of his father David. And then in in chapter 3, we saw the genealogy that places Jesus in the line of David. So we know that Jesus is the son of David. But this raises the question of how this guy knows that Jesus is the son of David. Does this random blind man somehow have access to Jesus' family tree? Or was he possibly close enough to overhear the conversation that the angel had with Mary? 
I doubt it. I think much more likely is that this man has heard the stories about what Jesus has been saying and doing. And as he's heard those stories, he has connected the dots that this must be the long-promised descendant of David. Nobody else could do what Jesus is doing. And so, or from a a more providential perspective, we may see here uh, another outworking of Jesus' words to Peter. When Peter confesses him to be the Christ, and Jesus tells him, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. But at any rate, however he knows this, While this man may be blind physically, Luke makes it clear that his spiritual perception is 20-20. He is right on. He knows who Jesus is, and he is calling for his help. And so we'll find out what happens next as we pick up again, beginning in verse 40. It says, And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. And so this blind man is calling out to Jesus in light of who he knows him to be. And fortunately, Jesus hears him. And so in verse 40, he stops and calls for the man to be brought to him. And Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? You're you're sitting here calling out for mercy. What specifically do you want? And and the man replies that he wants to recover his sight, which we've seen before is one of the promised blessings that the Davidic Messiah would bring. And in verse, verse 42, Jesus simply says to the man, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Right? As we've, we've talked about before, what we translate as made you well is, is a word that does double duty. Right? It refers to physical healing on the one hand, but it also refers to salvation. Right? And this man's faith in Jesus has gained him both. In verse 43, Luke says that immediately the man recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God for what he had done for him. Now we see the genuineness of this man's faith here. Because if you think about it, he could have done anything at this point. He could have gone and found his family. He could have gone to find a job that he would be able to support himself with from this point on. Or he could have even just spent time enjoying his new ability to see. and, and, And just taking the view of the world in. But instead, he chooses to follow Jesus as a disciple. Which would indicate that he... He wants to spend the rest of his life in his service. And then we see that as everyone in the crowd sees this, what Jesus has done, including many people who no doubt knew for a fact that this man had been blind, they glorify God as well. And so we'll see what happens next when Jesus continues on his journey as we move into chapter 19. Beginning in verse 1, it says, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. 
And so picking up again in chapter 19, Jesus comes into Jericho. And as he does, Luke introduces us to a man named Zacchaeus, who is a a chief tax collector and was rich. So as a, a chief tax collector, Zacchaeus would be a supervisor over a group of regular tax collectors. Uh, And he would make money off of the money that they made, off of charging people more of their taxes than what they actually owed. So if tax collectors were generally rich, a chief tax collector is going to be even richer. And if tax collectors, collectors were hated and marginalized by society, a chief tax collector would only be more so. But in verse 3, Luke tells us that when Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is on his way, He wants to see him. Now, this might just be curiosity uh, in the way that that we might show up if we knew that a particular celebrity was going to be taking pictures and signing autographs somewhere here in town. Maybe he just wants to be able to tell his grandkids one day that he got to see Jesus of Nazareth in person. Or it could be more than that. It might be that, that deep down Zacchaeus is troubled. But as he has heard the stories and the news about what Jesus is saying and doing, he's heard of this unconventional Jewish rabbi who is willing and and even is enthusiastic about spending time with and relating to tax collectors and sinners. Whatever the reason, Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. The problem is that he's really short, and so he can't see through the crowd. He is, as they say, a wee little man. Well, in verse 4, Zacchaeus gets an idea. He he runs ahead of the procession, and he finds a sycamore tree, which is a a tree with low-lying branches. And he climbs up in it so that he'll be able to see over the crowd and be able to figure out which one of them is Jesus. And so Zacchaeus is now in prime position to be able to see Jesus. But he's going to get way more than that, as we'll see as we pick up one last time, beginning in verse 5. It says, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So when Jesus gets to the place where Zacchaeus is, just like the old song says, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, right? But, but then he says something interesting, which is not conveyed in the song. He doesn't just say, for I'm going to your house today. He actually says, for I must stay at your house today. And there's a significant difference there. You see, the word must communicates a sense of, of divine uh, importance, a, a sense of divine necessity, right? a God-given compulsion much like Jesus has said that he must go to Jerusalem and be killed and rise again. In other words, this is a divine appointment. 
which may explain how Jesus automatically knows Zacchaeus' name. Zacchaeus doesn't know who Jesus is, but Jesus knows who Zacchaeus is. Zacchaeus has gone to great effort to be able to see Jesus, but what he didn't realize is that Jesus has actually come to see him. Zacchaeus is trying to pick Jesus out in the midst of this huge crowd of people in Jericho. But in the midst of this huge crowd of people in Jericho, Jesus has picked out Zacchaeus and is now giving him the honor of hosting him in his own home. So in verse 6, Zacchaeus moves faster than he has probably ever moved in his life as he scurries down this tree and leads Jesus to his house for a dinner he will never forget. Of course, as we've come to expect, there's a significant amount of scandal among the watching crowd that that Jesus would stoop so low as to be around such a morally corrupt person. And I think that that's interesting. Despite the fact that Jesus' reputation precedes him, I I suppose that seeing it in real life is still just a, a hard pill for some people to swallow. Wow, he really does spend time with tax collectors and sinners. Now, now I assume that there's an interlude of of some amount between verses 7 and 8. Jesus is at Zacchaeus' house, and they're eating and and talking about life and the kingdom of God. And in the course of the conversation, Zacchaeus stands up, and he says to him, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And so as a, a rich chief tax collector, Zacchaeus pledges to give half of his possessions to bless those who are poor, and to anyone that he has cheated in the process of becoming rich, he promises to pay back four times as much. Clearly, something has happened to Zacchaeus. And in response, Jesus explains, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. In other words, Zacchaeus has been converted and has become new. Jesus affirms him here as a son of Abraham. Now, that phrase is somewhat confusing because on the surface, it simply communicates that someone is a Jew, a, a descendant of Abraham. But we already knew that about Zacchaeus, and it doesn't necessarily mean anything. Right? We, 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 uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and many of the people in this crowd would be technically sons of Abraham. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be saved. Right? We, we remember how John the Baptist warned those who came to hear him preach back in chapter 3 when, when he said to them, Do not begin to say for yourselves that we have Abraham for our father. For God is able from, from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Don't don't just think and assume that because you're Jewish, you're automatically going to be saved. So what does Jesus mean here by affirming Zacchaeus as a son of Abraham? Well, I think he's getting at something that the Apostle Paul goes on to explain in more detail uh, in chapter 3 of his letter to the Galatians. When he says that it is those who have faith like Abraham who are truly sons of Abraham. Or to the Romans in chapter 2 of his letter to them, he says that a true Jew is one inwardly. It's a matter of the heart and not simply outward uh, genetics. And so here, Zacchaeus' new approach to his money serves as a demonstration of his faith in Jesus. 
It is evidence that he is a true son of Abraham, not just physically, but spiritually as well. In other words, this is what repentance looks like for Zacchaeus. Now again, it's been a while since we've been in Luke, but let me remind you that the last thing that we read about in in verses 18 through 34 included the story of the rich young ruler who wanted eternal life, but he wanted his money even more. And in response, Jesus commented that it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the crowd heard this, they were alarmed, and they asked, if this is true, then who can be saved? Jesus said to them, what is impossible with man is possible with God. God can do what would otherwise be impossible. And now in the story of Zacchaeus, it's almost like Jesus says, here, let me show you. The rich young ruler loved his money, and so he was unwilling to part with it. But Zacchaeus has found so much joy in Jesus... That he's like, it's gone. I'll give half of it away right now, and then I'll use the rest of it to compensate everyone I've ever cheated. So there is no doubt that Zacchaeus has found new life in Christ. And then at the very end of the passage, Jesus reminds the crowd, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And there are a couple of levels that we should look at that statement on. On the one hand, it reminds us of Jesus' remark to the Pharisees at the end of chapter 5, when he told them that that those who are well don't need a doctor. It's those who are sick. And he hasn't come to call the the righteous to repentance, but sinners. And we talked about how absurd it would be if you tried to make an appointment with your doctor, and and the secretary told you, I'm sorry, the doctor only sees people who are healthy. That completely defeats the purpose. And in the same way, Jesus has come to save, but who do you think needs to be saved? Sinners. People who have broken God's law. People who have completely ruined their lives. People who society doesn't necessarily look up to. The good news is that Jesus has come to seek and save those who are lost. And then on a second level, Jesus once again hints here at his identity. Because in Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 11 through 16, the Lord condemns the religious leadership of Israel for for not faithfully caring for his people and shepherding them well. And he promises that he himself will come to seek and save his people who have been lost. And so in alluding to this promise, Jesus is indicating once again who he is that he is God. Just as we recently celebrated at Christmas, at Jesus' birth, God took on human flesh so that he could seek and save his people. And so in our passage this morning, we have the the story of two men who are polar opposites, right? Completely different. The, The blind man has nothing, while Zacchaeus has more than he could ever need. The the blind man has to beg other people for mercy. Zacchaeus would have had other people begging for mercy from him. The the blind man is powerless, while Zacchaeus had significant authority. And yet, for all of their differences, in many ways, they're exactly the same. Both are unwanted by the rest of society. Both are unable to see in some way. 
Both of them are hindered by the people in the crowd, and ultimately both of them find grace and salvation through faith in Jesus. And I I think in all their differences and similarities, Luke is communicating the fact that Jesus has come so that anyone from any walk of life can be saved if they will entrust themselves to him. You see, you may be at the top of the social ladder, or you may be at the very bottom. Uh, You may be rich, or you may be poor. It may seem like you have your life together, or your life may look like a total dumpster fire. You may have a religious background, or not at all. You may be male or female, black or white, but whatever the case, Luke wants us to know that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Not not those who think they have their act together. Not those who may just be a little bit confused in life or who just need a little spiritual boost. Jesus came to seek and save those who know that apart from him, they have absolutely no hope. The lost. Jesus came and lived and died and rose again so that we can receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life with him. And like the blind man in Zacchaeus, once we have responded to the gospel, we then get the privilege and the responsibility of taking the message of the gospel around the world and helping other people come to know and follow Jesus for themselves as we seek to make disciples of all nations. This is what this whole thing is about, the church. And so this morning, may we all be found by the Good Shepherd and live our lives so that others can come to know and follow him as well. Let's pray together.